Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. This is a special edition of the Fran Spielman show pre-runoff with two people from Paul Vallis's campaign on one side and then Brandon Johnson's on the other, the strategy people, the guts of the campaign. Joining us first are Paul Vallis's campaign manager, Brian Town, and Democratic strategist extraordinaire, Joe Trippi. Thanks for joining us, both of you. Good to be with you. Thanks for having us, Fran. Where are we? Are we headed for the photo finish that it appears to be in some of the polls? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, this thing has always was going to be, regardless, I think, of who made it a very tight election. And, you know, what I what's clearly happening, I think, is that basically a lot of people have made up their minds. And that's a kind of like basically a very tight race. And among people have made up their minds, there's about 10 percent left out there who haven't made up their minds, but who are saying they're going to vote. I think that they're going to decide the election. And our path is that that group is, I think, wrestling with two things. One, who is Paul Vallis? What are these charges that he's not a Democrat? And also, is Brandon Johnson, does he really have a goal of defunding the police? What I'm saying is that group that's out there, is confused at listening to everything and trying to discern what's real, what's true. And I think the advantage that we have right now is with Dick Durbin, Bobby Rush, um, Jesse White, a whole slew of Sophia King, a whole slew of Democrats who are, are saying, again, telling people they know Paul Dallas. He is a pro-choice Democrat, Dick Durbin, testifying testimony in terms of testimonial about Paul Vallis being someone who will create a, a stronger economy and count on him to create jobs. At every step, I think we're answering that that question that Brandon has, you know, they've attacked repeatedly, called him Paul Republican, not true. And I think that becomes, as that becomes clear to those that group that that isn't hasn't decided yet they we have a real opportunity to break away brian who are these 10 percent of undecided people have they been living in a cave somewhere who are they what are they racially ethnically age-wise who are they i think there are they tend to be older voters more moderate to consider moderate to conservative african-american voters and voters how are you going to get those people how are you going to convince them in these final days? Again, I think it, I'm sorry, I just think it's the, we have, it's not, in a lot of ways, it's not Paul Vallis saying it, it's Dick Durbin 
Bobby Rush, Sophia King, Jamal Green, a slew of Democrats that we have and who we have on the air right now in, in, in terms of what we are doing to get that message to people in their homes, whether it be in the mail or digitally. I think it's it's having these independent validators say that help people understand who Paul is and why would all those people be for Paul and not for Brandon? Is it because Paul, I would assert this, is a Joe Biden, Dick Durbin Democrat, not a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren Democrat? Brian, now, we have an argument Brian, about that. But. Yeah, Brian, why is the race this close? And is it possible that we may not even know on election night that we might have to wait for the mail-in ballots, which seem to favor you or Paul Vallis, rather. Yeah, the polls definitely show it to be very close within the margin of error. That's what the polls showed in the general, too. Our turnout, our voters that we drew from in the first round came out heavier than we expected or that most that I would say that pollsters expected. We outperformed our poll numbers in the first round and I think that's a possibility in this round. The early voting that's coming in thus far has, I think, is skewing in our favor with wards and precincts that we did in the first round are the ones that are overwhelmingly voting early right now. So I do think if the race is close, it really depends on the vote by mail, and I understand there was possibly a delay in getting those ballots to people. There's different theories out there. Did people forego the vote by mail and early vote already? Or are we going to see a large number of mail ballots drop on Election Day, which may take a little bit longer? Anything dropped on Election Day by 7 o'clock will be counted that night. But anything that comes in post the election, it just really depends on the number, the the, the margin on election night and the number of outstanding ballots that that are going to need to be counted i think there's a good chance that good chance that what i'm sorry i think a good chance on election night we it'll be too close to call we may have to wait a couple days oh that's a nightmare scenario especially how you sound like you're headed for pneumonia (laughs) right now at least there won't be another at least there won't be another runoff that's true but it could be days is what you're saying yeah it could could be be. that close yeah, I think people should count on that. You should count on that? Yeah, I think it's going to be a very close election. Yes, absolutely. And I think Brian's right. Why about should we count on that? And how did it get this close? How did that well, happen? Well, not so much that way. It's more that, that the number of mail in ballots will be bigger than the margin, is what I'm trying to say. And we're, I mean, we're, unless somebody's ahead by 60,000, 70,000 votes, if there's 70,000 mail in ballots still out there you can't you won't be able that's a pretty big margin to to win by but if there's equal or over that number out there still that could still be po- have been postmarked and sent in you'll have to wait till that period's over to know you can't i'm not talking about it being like 2000 vote close i'm talking about it, it with the number the way People have, not just in Chicago, but around the country, used mail-in ballots or absentee ballots as, the, as their standard way of voting. There's so many of those people now that even if you have a fairly sizable winning margin on Election Day, there'll be so many ballots that could, they may not all be turned in, but could be turned in, could arrive, in, and that we'll have to wait for them. That's what I mean. That's what I mean about get ready for that, because I think it's more about how big the number of absentee ballots and mail-in ballots 
are but these don't days they normally and, break know, in the same pattern that the regular voting is, the in-person voting is? They do, even if it's a little closer, a little wider with that group. You still there can't be a difference, declare anybody until you, they all come in and are counted. That's the so that's all I'm saying. And we could be in a position where, yeah, somebody even has a a decent lead. Hey, no one can call it because there's a sizable number of ballots that could conceivably, even if they went a hundred percent the other way, which we know they won't do. But I'm just saying that there's no official way to do it till everything's in. So it's it could take a while. After the first round, I wrote that after Vallis finished with 32.9% of the vote, he was clearly the front runner. His path to the mayor's office was to get about 50 to 55% of the Latino vote, which seemed to be doable for him because he had already won the 10th and 30th wards. So if he could get that, if he could get 20 to 25 percent of the black vote and hold his northwest and southwest side base, then he had a good clear path to win and also boost the turnout in his strong areas. How have you executed that strategy, Brian? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And don't forget about the downtown and lakefront areas that Paul did extraordinarily well in the first round. We've executed a very sound field ground game. We've been to most wards throughout the city and every community with ward tours where we we send hand-addressed envelopes to, to residents in, in those wards and invite them to, you know, come here like a pep rally with the candidate. And we've had outstanding turnout from those events, averaging, I would say, over 250 per ward, which isn't an easy task in the dead of winter, but we've just had incredible energy throughout the campaign into the runoff. And we've been, we've had a really strong organic volunteer base. So we expect to have over a thousand people out on election day. We've had hundreds of people out every day, knocking doors, text messaging, phone banking, doing other tasks in the office. So we think we're going to be strong there. We've both had a constant presence on TV. So I think we've really been able to define our opponent and really show voters there's a stark contrast in this race and there's a real and besides boots on the ground we've had an expansive mail program like joe mentioned we've had over 20 elected officials endorse us 26 unions this race is so compacted it's not like we have six months between the primary and the runoff we have five weeks so it's taken extraordinary efforts and building this coalition. We've had a lot of aldermen on the ground with us, bringing together the different coalitions, the different neighborhood groups that have joined our campaign, and really bringing all those groups together for such short time, including the labor folks who've been just phenomenal and very experienced in, in these type of races. So we feel we have a ground game to, to match Commissioner Johnson. Describe for me the path that you need to follow for, to get Paul into the mayor's office. What is your formula to get him there and to win this very close election? I think it's the one you pointed to, Fran, as you talked when you said what the path was. That's a pretty good understanding of what our goals are internally. And right now we think we're on path to meet them, uh, but it will be close. And uh, every begin with the number of I think it was something like literally 25%. I may have that number wrong, but a very big number came in by mail. And even if you have a 3.5 point lead, if more than 10% of the ballots are still out, 
if you have a five point lead and there's 10 points of ballots still out, if that's what I mean about how close this will be. But our path is along the lines that, that you, you talked about a, a few minutes ago. But you also I looked at the totals, for example, in 42, the downtown ward where the turnout was very disappointing. Don't you think you can boost not only win the same wards, but also boost the turnout? Isn't that really a key, Brian? It is. It is, Fran. And we've really focused on that, on the wards we ran the strongest in. We're not taking anything for granted. We want to increase turnout at least 25% in, in some of those wards and Which some of ones? the other wards, the northwest side, the southwest side, the downtown wards, the lakefront wards. Some of that could be attributed to the aldermen not having opponents. So maybe that decreased turnout. Like I said, we have a lot of those. Aldermen that have endorsed Paul and have brought their resources into the campaign. So we're really making an effort. We're going to different high rises, senior facilities to really make a presence. We've had Paul in, in scores of those high rises along the lakefront connecting with voters. We have had more resources in the runoff to to touch voters with direct mail, home banking. So we're hoping through those efforts that we'll see a more robust turnout. The progressive family has come back together with Chewy Garcia endorsing Brandon Johnson. Joe Trippi, you told me early on that you expected this and that so what? Because he only got 13 point whatever percent of the vote in the first round, Chewy. So did this help? Has this helped Brandon Johnson, and it, will it be significant in a Latino vote that could be decisive or at least part of the decisive? I haven't seen any signs of it being decisive with Latino vote in terms of moving things from where they were before Chewy endorsed. And I do think, again, that a lot of the folk, the people who look, once the runoff, the primary was over, Obviously, people moved if they were for one of the Willie Wilson or one of the other candidates. And I think a lot of the Chewy voters moved. The ones that were going to move to Brandon did. The ones that were considering us, again, giving, given our strength in the community, I, I think came to us. And I don't really think any things moved that very much since not nothing. I don't not Chewy, not any of the other endorsements. I think it's been Paul's been very strong and I think we can hit our targets there. So Progressive we'll, we'll, we'll icons, uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Sanders coming here for a Thursday night rally at the UIC Forum for Brandon John to have Vic Mensa performing. They need to excite young people who tend to not vote at all or in very tiny numbers. How do Chicagoans, who are quite parochial in their thinking, they don't like particularly outsiders telling us what to do. Well, how does this Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren thing play and Bernie Sanders appearance here, Brian? I, have, I think it helps their campaign have a perceived sense of excitement with Senator Sanders coming in. But in, I don't know, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know if it moves the needle too much. I agree with you that Chicago very parochial. And we think our endorsements, again, from Senator Durbin to Congressman Rush, has bested Brandon in, in, in that category. We're stay tuned. I think we might have a get out the vote rally of our own and to close out the week. But we had a really strong get out the vote rally with the 26 labor unions that are backing us. Yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to matter too much. 
Joe, the Fraternal Order of Police endorsement has been a real double-edged sword for Paul Vallis. He served as the unpaid negotiator who helped deliver the police contract that ended the longest labor stalemate in Chicago history. 20% pay raise over eight years, half of it retroactive. It included all the accountability reforms that everybody was demanding, and so did the consent decree. But you have the fiery president, the always outspoken and newly reelected president of the FOP, John Catanzara, making such inflammatory statements about a thousand cops will quit and will, there'll be blood in the streets. How much has the FOP endorsement and the ties to the FOP hurt Paul Vallis? I think you know, Paul denounced those comments. It just shows the, I think, why Paul is the best choice for Chicago at this time. And it's going to take building trust between the communities and the police department. It's going to be, and it's going to be able being able to hold the police department accountable. He, accountable. He did. He was the one that got that contract with the accountability measures in it. And I think calling those comments, denouncing them, is another sign of yes. He can. You can reform the police department, but you can also defunding it isn't the or cutting. The police department is not the way it's talking truth to them and having the trust of the rank and file so that as you start to implement the enforce the dissent decree, as you reform the department and put new leadership, diverse leadership in charge, that there's a real trust between the mayor, the city and every community and the department that's building. That's what is what makes Paul, I think, not just the, his position in terms of better funding, better training, et cetera, but I think it's really about building that trust and not just being, he's not a lobbyist for that union. He's not in, he, didn't, he isn't getting millions of dollars from them. He will call out the union president and denounce him when he's wrong. And I just don't know that we've seen that same kind of independence at all from Brandon Johnson and the paid lobbyists for the union doing the same. In fact, except wouldn't have any of the money or most of it if it hadn't if it hadn't been by the union to, to back him. So I think, look, you're looking at somebody who, yes, understands what we need to do to make neighborhoods safe, to get community policing where the community knows the police that are protecting and serving them and the police know that community. And at the same time, have the trust of the rank and file to impose and make sure that they're held accountable. I'm not sure you. that's not going to happen under Brandon. I mean, that I just don't see him having that kind of independence from the... Brian, the regular Black Democrats, people like Emma Mitz and Bill Harris and Tony Beal, et cetera, et cetera, and Jesse White and Walter Burnett, those people have lined up with Paul Vallis. The more progressive Blacks have stayed with Brandon Johnson. Is this a generational gap and how influential or do these regular, older regular Democrats give Black voters permission to vote for Paul Vallis when they would be otherwise maybe uncomfortable doing so? Yeah, I don't know if it's generational. Again, it's just validation. And our endorsers span different generations. And we have people that have worked with Paul when he was a young technocrat that came up from Springfield. But you have people like Secretary White and Congressman Rush that, you know, have endorsed Paul because they know 
Paul is someone that will work for all Chicago and work for every community. He demonstrated it when he was the head of CPS. He went into every classroom, visited every classroom, did his eyeglass program where he brought in doctors to test children's vision and then supplied eyeglasses and saw drastic improvements. He built 76 new schools and renovated the dozens more, never closed a school, never had contentious labor relations. Paul's leadership style, again, touching on the FOP, which was, that's about the rank and file. Paul hasn't accepted a dime in campaign contributions from them, but it really speaks to the leadership style. And I think a lot of these elected officials, these aldermen are looking forward to Paul's leadership style, where he brings everyone to the table. He draws talent from the community. We'll have a diverse staff and hold everyone accountable, but he's someone that people can work with. And again, those endorsements, Senator Durbin, who I think shared office space with Paul 40 years ago in Springfield, that they see how he works, how he leads, how he inspires, but more importantly, how he delivers results. So I think a lot of the younger elected officials see that from the senior statesmen. In the final debate, Brandon on television, Brandon Johnson accused Paul Vallis of being, quote, dismissive of a black man when he questioned the fact that he had never run anything. Vallis did. He said that Brandon Johnson had never run anything and only spent four years as a teacher. And there have been other racially charged statements like that, that Paul Vallis doesn't believe in race theory and that he fired black women teachers and so on. Are you concerned about the fanning of racial flames in a city that is very racially divided to begin with and where the mayor, whoever it is going to have to bring this city back together and heal this city? Uh, Absolutely. And it's not true. That's the bigger piece of this is that, look, there's no way that I would be working for Paul Valerie. There's no way that Bobby Rush, that Jesse White, that Dick Durbin, none of it is true. And that's and that's why reality is look, Paul is someone listening to Bobby Rush about why he South Side for 30 years watching what Paul did. He saw it working in the West Side school, building new schools, new building, new school buildings, fixing them, health clinics. Paul has been just dedicated to to neglected communities in the city and to. And so I think in the end, yeah, it's it is something that we all should be concerned about. This the city has to have someone who will bring it together. And I think what I think if you really listen to what. Bobby Rush, Jesse White, Sophia King, Dick Durbin. What they're saying is this is a guy who's done it and will bring us together. And I think that's a very important thing for people to know about Paul. So as we wrap up here, Brian, what has to happen to get Paul Vallis into the mayor's office in terms of percentages of votes in various areas and turnout? Because the turnout was pretty disappointing it was what 32 some odd percent what 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 do you need or 35 percent maybe what do you uh, need yeah, to think, do what is your formula to get paul in the mayor's office yeah so i think we've covered it a little bit but again just keeping our strong ground game going through tuesday increasing our the turnout in on the what? areas that we did well 
I think it varies by by ward. The 19th ward always is the top producing ward election after election. It would be nice to boost turnout there by 10% or so. Other wards, maybe seeing a higher turnout of 25% would be helpful. So again, all those methods I described have all been going towards that. We've seen our early voting numbers skew in our favor, I would say by maybe 16%, 18% over Commissioner Johnson at this point. So I think we just have to stay the course, use our surrogates. Paul's averaging 18 events a day. We're just going to do everything we can that we have been doing and, and <clears throat> increase that turnout. Increasing turnout in Latino awards is very important. We're performing very well there. Again, we're doing a lot of mail, a lot of like just direct contact with voters. And what again, percentage like of the black vote will you get? What percentage of the Hispanic vote will you get, do you think? I think 25 to 30 percent of the black vote, and I'm hoping for over 60 percent of the Latino vote. You need that. Yes. And you need to boost turnout in these strongholds on the northwest and southwest and downtown lakefront zone wards by how much? I, again, it varies ward by ward, but I would say overall increasing that turnout by 25% would be ideal. And did Paul Vallis make things more difficult on himself by leaving a trail of breadcrumbs on Facebook and Twitter that were used against him to try and prove that he is really a Republican? Jim? Look, this was the attack that was always going to come from from Brandon. And then they telegraphed it. It was all telegraphed in the before the original primary, before the runoff. So it's not, as I said it, 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 at the beginning of this, it's not true. He's not a Republican, never was. And there's no way, and that, this is the point with the, those undecideds that are out there. It's it's don't listen to, to Paul Ballas or Brandon. Listen to Durbin, to Bobby Rush, to Jesse White, the people who know that it's not true and would never be supporting anybody but a Democrat who they believe can bring the city together. That's where this is the last, uh, the, these last days is we are communicating that. And it is a, it's one thing to, to continue to push a false narrative on Paul, which is what they've been doing. And we got, yes, you're right. We have to refute that. We have been. And I think we have right now, if you, every voter should ask themselves, why the hell would Dick Durbin, uh, Bobby Rush, Jesse White, Sophia King, Jamal Green go down the line uh, in 26 unions, all be somehow had the wool pulled over their eyes because he's he's anything but a Republican. He's a Democrat. He always has been. And, and what about the charm offensive? Brandon Johnson is the better communicator. Paul is more of a technocrat. Is that going to be decisive, Brian? Will that matter no. at all? No, I don't think so. I think Paul's been on message throughout this campaign. And I think he's, I think people have seen inside, they've connected with his heart. They've always connected with his mind, but I think you've seen Paul out on the trail. He's been very emotional. The city club yesterday, Bobby Rush's endorsement deeply affected him, not just because he got the endorsement, but just for the, valid, the validation of it, of somebody that knows Paul's record. And that's the difference here. You can't erase a record. You can't dispute the fact that Paul was for 
gay marriage, as it was called, back when he was running for governor 20 years ago, a decade before President Obama and Vice President Biden came out for marriage equality and Paul putting Paul and Gary Chico putting benefits for domestic partners into all CPS contracts. I mean, that's the record of a progressive Democrat. So you can't erase that, but I would say Paul has had incredible energy and it's almost Pulp 2.0. I think people see the real Paul Vallis out on the campaign trail. So I think he's done a good job matching Brandon's charisma. Okay, Brian Town and Joe Trippy, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck to you on Tuesday. And I hope it's not too many days before we know who the next mayor of Chicago is. And get some chicken soup, Brian. I think you need right. it. <laughs> thank you, Fran. Thanks, Fran. Now we're on to part two of our special pre-runoff edition with Jason Lee, senior advisor for the Brandon Johnson mayoral campaign, and Brandon Davis, senior media strategist. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you, Frenner. Paul Vallis's team of campaign manager Brian Town and political strategist Joe Trippi say they expect this election to be so close that we will not know the next mayor of Chicago until probably the weekend when most of the vote by mail ballots have been counted. Do you agree with that? I think I, we, we agree that this election is going to be close. I don't want to speculate on when returns will be available, when we'll be in position to call the race. What we want to make sure is that every single vote is counted and that the people of Chicago can feel confident with the results. We talked about this in round one, friend, where people thought we'd be waiting several days to know who was on the runoff. And we were able to essentially call it around 9 p.m. And so I don't want to speculate, but we do agree that it'll be close. The current number of vote by mail applications stands at one hundred ninety nine thousand six oh eight with only 22,266 of those votes returned to the Board of Elections. Everything returned by 7 p.m. Monday will be counted on election night. The rest are going to have to wait. And the board technically has until April 18th to count them all, but most will be counted by the weekend. Brandon Davis, what do you think? That sounds like nobody is going to have the kind of margin. You'd need 70, 80,000 margin to really feel comfortable declaring victory. Are we right about this? Do you think we're going to have to wait? That'll be up to folks who are charged with with doing the important and difficult work of counting votes. Uh, I think understanding where some of those are outstanding and understanding what, what, what expectations are for when and what number of votes will come in. I'm sure there'll be a lot of analysis of that as we go. What's most important is that when people make their voice heard, that their vote is counted. And I think we've all learned last few years that what matters most is that just that and that our anxiety over being able to land things on election night has sort of dissipated a bit as we've taken on new ways that allow, frankly, more voters to be a part of the process that want to be a part of the process. So, you know, I think our campaign welcomes that, making sure that people can exercise a franchise and be a part of the electorate. That seems to be the thing that matters the most. And I have no doubt that the folks will do the hard work of making sure every vote gets counted. 
How did it get this close? The other side says it was always destined to be a close election just by the nature of the way Chicagoans vote, how divided the city is. Vallis was the clear front runner, it looked like, because he got 32.9% of the vote in round one. Brandon Johnson got 21.6%. Do you think this was always destined to be a close election by nature of the way Chicagoans vote and how divided the city is ethnically, racially, et cetera? Or did Brandon Johnson and you guys make it close? I think you know what our answer is, Fran. Look, I think we started this race at around 2% as late as October of last year. And not a lot of people thought we would be in this position. In fact, one of the candidates famously said, God bless him, Brandon Johnson will never be mayor. And we think that we've had the right candidate with the right message and the right strategy uh, to build this multicultural, multi-generational coalition across the city to not focus on primarily our divisions along ethnic lines, but focus on what binds us together, our hopes and aspirations for the city of Chicago, a desire to have a safe city that is where everyone can thrive. What Brandon always talks about, or Commissioner Johnson talks about, is that everybody, when he's mayor, everyone will have a seat at the table. And I think that message is what's allowed us to rise in the polls significantly, especially when you consider the fact that we have been outspent on television and maybe some other areas, and yet our message continues to break through. And I know, and I know Brandon Davis can speak a little bit more about how we've done it. How much have you been outspent by, Brandon? those numbers move every day, but obviously the the Dallas campaign has been supported by two large outside spenders uh, in the race. And so I think that has certainly skewed some of the spending their direction. I think that what we've tried to do is communicate very clearly with voters in all the places that they are. So our approach has been multifaceted, multi-platform. We talk to voters, of course, on television, but we also talk to voters uh, through digital means, we're more targeted in how we're thinking about to communicate with voters. We're leveraging radio, so we're trying to have a holistic conversation with voters in 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 all the places where they consume content media and all the places where they're looking for information about who we vote for. I guess I would just echo what Jason said. We saw we started this race in one place, and we saw in what is a really short runoff time period. A lot of consolidation to make this a, you know, what a lot of folks I think believe is a really close race. And I think that's because Brandon Johnson's message is really resonating with voters from all walks of life, from all backgrounds that that want to move the city forward. He says a, a better, safer, stronger Chicago. That message is resonating. So, you know, I think you look at coming out of the general election and into the runoff how quickly voters validated around the idea of which candidate best fits their values. I think that is what is, has created this, this really race that's coming down to the end. Brandon Johnson. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say just one more thing that I'd be remiss not to mention. We've also had a significant groundswell of enthusiasm in the terms of small dollar contributors and also volunteers. And that has given us a really great opportunity to have face-to-face, door-to-door conversations with voters all over the city. And I think that's also been leading to us gaining every single day. 
Brandon Johnson punched his ticket to the runoff by winning nine progressive wards on the north and northwest sides and along the lakefront. The 1st, the 26th, the 33rd, the 35th, the 40th, the 46th, the 47th, 48th, and 49th. Uh, he won three northwest side Hispanic wards in the 33rd, 35th, and 26th, but he did not win a single African-American ward. He finished third behind Lightfoot and Vallis in the 29th on the west side. He was a close second in a handful of other wards, including the third, fourth, fifth, and 20th on the south side, and was a distant second in a bunch of others, including the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 21st, 24th, 28th, and 37th on the south and west sides. What is his path to the mayor's office. We talked about this right after the first round. And I wrote that he needed 80% of the African-American vote. Uh, has he gotten that? What is his path? Both of you. First, Jason. I think just if we take it back a step, from a strategic perspective, what our campaign is always focused on is what can we do every day to win as many votes as we can in every single part of the city. Trying to hit a benchmark doesn't make sense. What makes sense is trying to win every as many singles as you can. And you have to see where that takes you at the end of the day. The permutations about how much percentage of each ethnic community that you need to win obviously fluctuates based on how well you're doing in another community. We've had a strategy to consolidate the African-American vote where there's been a groundswell of enthusiasm for Commissioner Johnson and extend that as much as possible. We feel very good about how we're tracking with African-American voters, but we also feel very good about what we're doing in other communities. We have the best Latin validators in this race by far. We've got folks out communicating in their community, validating Commissioner Johnson and helping those voters understand the populist economic message uh, that we bring relative to our opponent. And then, like you said, on the lakefront, we did well in round one. We think we're going to continue to do well, particularly with women voters in those areas who believe in Chicago that works for everyone and are frankly turned off by some of the rhetoric that they've heard recently, particularly from our opponent's chief validator, Mr. Canizaro. And so we feel very good about how we're performing in areas that we need to do well. But the African-American enthusiasm, groundswell and consolidation behind our candidacy, which you've seen in some of the polls, makes us feel very good about that electorate. Paul Vallis's formula is to get 25 to 30 percent of the black vote, 60 percent of the Latino vote, hold his northwest and southwest side and downtown and north lakefront base and boost turnout in those strongholds by 25 percent would be ideal, they say. What is your formula? Not in platitudes, but in real hard numbers. Like I said, I and it may just be that we think about politics a little bit differently. So I don't think that's a useful conversation to be had. I think you have to have multiple pathways to victory and you've got to have a strategy for executing on all of them. I think broad strokes. Yes, we have so to consolidate. How about multiple pathways? How about multiple right. pathways? Then tell me some of the pathways. I think I said it. We have to consolidate the African-American vote in a significant way, 80%? whether that's 75, 80%? 80. 72 depends, right? But we have to do as well as we can among African-Americans. We have to drive African-Americans. What is the bare minimum that you need? What's the bare minimum? You can't drop to 70 because that'll give Vallis too much. And I don't, I, yeah, look, again, 
math of this is the math, right? It depends on what the turn, the relative turnout is. It depends who comes out. There's a number of different ways. It's all a math equation, right? Depending on what the turnout is, a different percentage can get you there whether, versus if it's lower. What I'm saying to you is, broad, directionally speaking, we have to consolidate the African-American vote to the greatest extent that we can. We have to perform very well among Latino voters and hold and hold that to make that a competitive battleground demographic, which we think we're on track to do. I think that if he needs 60 percent of the Latino vote, then I think that's going to be tough for him, actually. And then in terms of the white vote or again, we think we're going to do very well with particularly women. And that's going to that's going to close those margins. We have that Milwaukee corridor base, those wards that we did very well. We think we can generate additional turnout in those wards, that there's a lot of enthusiasm we can tap into. And generating 25% increase in any area on turnout seems to be a tall task if that's the way they're thinking about it. But again, we're going to look at generating as many votes from our areas of strength as possible and not stop until until the last vote is turned out. We're not going to try to hit a benchmark and stop. We're going to go all the way through the tape. And, uh, and, that's, and that's how we're going to work for the last several days. Brandon Davis, Brandon Johnson was always counting on a youth vote. And it's been my experience, and I think it was the case in the first round, that young people talk a great game, but they don't vote. And now I know you've been active on some college campuses. You've got Bernie Sanders coming in. You got Vic Mensa performing. What makes you think that these young people won't just show up at the rally, cheer some, listen to the music, and then not vote again? I think that I want to reinforce something that Jason said a second ago first, and that is we've maintained several paths to victory here. And the way that we've done that is by speaking to voters on the issues that they care about, from their background, from their lived experience, what people, the kind of economics that voters want to see this city undergirded by the ways that uh, voters see a path to public safety that's durable by addressing the root causes of crime. And young voters have been important in that as well. I think we've seen, particularly over the last several election cycles, a greater enthusiasm amongst younger voters when the issues matter to them are talked about and when they see an opportunity to vote in a way that's going to move forward those issues they care about and move forward their communities in directions they believe in. And so I think that's part of the history that we have to look at. Recently, when we talk about the ways to mobilize younger voters, it begins by talking to them. It begins by engaging with them, and it begins by having a plan that they can believe in that will move the city forward in the directions that, that they really care about. And so that's what, so we've what have to do. you done towards that end? Have you gone to all the college campuses? What have you done to try to energize these kids? Sure, we've been active on the college campuses, but as I said before, we've also tried to talk to people where they are. We know that younger voters exist in a different media environment than older voters. That's one of the delineating factors that comes along with age. We, younger voters are operating on platforms that don't tap them into television as much. And so we've been talking to them in those ways. What ways? Targeting targeting on campuses with our videos directly on their mobile devices. We've been organizing as well on campuses so that they're experiencing it through devices and through the ways that they interact with media, but also through individuals and validation from individual people. We've been engaging with some of the folks that you did a pretty good job, I think, of laying out some of the folks that are supporters of ours that support Commissioner Johnson, that are validating us with those younger voters as well, because 
their folks they listen to. And we've tapped into their social media feeds to make sure that they know how to talk about this campaign and how to talk about the commissioner's policies and how he wants to move the city forward. So we try to do it in ways that are paid in reaching out to folks directly through devices and through the, the mediums that they engage in media on. We've also done it in a grassroots way by organizing on campuses and then also tapping into to folks that we know really hold sway and validation in communities and can get folks to be aware of what's going on and what the debate and what the conversation is within their communities. So that's been the round sound that we've tried to lean into with younger voters. I think they're an important path, part of our path to victory and maintaining multiple paths to victory. And I think we have to look at the recent history, the way that they've engaged in races when the issues have been talked about that matter to them. And I think that's what the commissioner is doing. Jason, Mayor Lori Lightfoot spent a ton of money to take down Chewy Garcia in round one. She mistakenly waited too long to realize that Brandon Johnson was the real threat. And she wanted clearly to handpick Paul Vallis as her opponent, believing that he had a ceiling. Does Paul Vallis, in fact, have a ceiling? I think that's a great question. And we've seen in polling after poll, going back, I think, since February, that he's stuck at around 45, 46. Um, and he's someone who has the significant name recognition and the long history in the city, if you had to identify someone in this race who would operate as more of the incumbent than the other, it'd be Mr. Vallis. He's been known to the Chicago electorate for over 30 years. They know his record. They know his positions, his disposition, and somehow he stays at that level. And so it could be the case that there isn't, that there, there is a ceiling there because there are just not enough voters who want that. And Mr. Vallis has run a number of times for various offices and never been able to get over the hump. And I think that intuition or that insight may very well be true. But you are hammering and hammering away at him as a Republican, even though he says over and over again that he is a moderate Democrat. And Joe Trippi says that is a lie. You wouldn't have Bobby Rush and all these others, Jesse White, and just a ton of aldermen, regular Democrats, all endorsing Paul Vallis, Dick Durbin. They would never, and he says, I would never work for a guy who wasn't a Democrat. They say that is a lie, and yet you're pushing it because this is a Democratic city, and that's a line of attack. Is that going to work? Will that ultimately be the decider? Look, I think we're going to, you say something, Brennan? Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think you mentioned that he's said over and over that he's a Democrat, but he also said he was more of a Republican. So we simply reflected back what, what Mr. Vallis has said about himself. And we've simply shown people, frankly, what his record has shown. How he has What his record has shown is that politics. he ran for governor as a Democrat. He ran for lieutenant governor as a Democrat. That's his he's record. Done, done two things, right? He's also said that he's a Republican, right? That we've, we've established that in our ads, and I think it was established in the general election as well. I don't doubt that people have conflicting ideas sometimes, but we should point out and we should hold people accountable to their statements and to their policies. And I think his approach to, to, to budgets, to, to thinking about budgets through a lens of, for a less equitable lens as it relates to working people, those policies have to be addressed and people have to own their decisions and their rhetoric. And I just think that's the only thing I would point out 
on that question is we've simply reflected back what Mr. Dallas has said about itself. Jason Lee, what do you think? Will that ultimately be decisive in this very democratic city, Navy Blue, really? I think it's going to, yeah, I think it'll have an impact. Look, this is Chicago. This is a city that prides itself on democratic values. And that's really what we're talking about is what are the values that you'll bring to this office? And the reality is that the values that Mr. Vallis has expressed, which can be summarized by Republicanism, are not values that are consistent with the average voter in Chicago. I think ultimately this is about two different visions for Chicago, two different visions for the city, two different strategies for delivering real safety and real economic opportunity in this city. But I do think that it's very important when voters are assessing how those things will actually manifest in practice to look at the values of the person espousing the various strategies. And if the values are off, it's difficult to trust that the strategy will not end up in a direction that you don't want to go. Um, and so, so that's what I think will ultimately be decisive. But it is important for voters to understand that regardless of what Mr. Vallis is saying, his record is something that is troubling. The other thing I would say, the last thing I would say, Fran, is that you, you're, you've been in the media business for a long time in this city. You don't know many Democrats who go on Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson and espouse criticisms of Democratic officials. Maybe they'll go on your show and do it, but very few Democrats do that. And so I think his actions call to question some of his statements now. You talk about people owning their rhetoric, then Brandon Johnson needs to do that, too, about defunding the police. And now he's running away from that and saying he's not going to defund the police and he's not going to cut a penny from the police department budget, even though he told me on the day he unveiled his security plan, his, his public safety plan, that he would cut $150 million from the police budget. He would not commit to filling the vacancies. Now he's saying he won't cut a penny that he will spend that money that he saves on the consent decree and on hiring the promoting the detectives and mental health for the officers and so on. But there's rhetoric he's got to own, too. Let's just address the last part, because, again, this has been a, a really a shocking misunderstanding, because from the very beginning, our public safety plan has not changed. Not one word has been edited. And in the very beginning, the plan was clear that we reallocate money within the department to invest in things that we think are smarter, hiring, promoting more detectives, which costs money, enforcing the consent decree, which costs money, enforcing red flag laws, which requires you to hire more civilian staff within the police department to help process paperwork to make sure that we can actually track people who shouldn't have guns, paying for more officer wellness and mental health services to deal with the trauma that comes being a police officer. It's in the plan from day one and it's been consistent and so there's never been a plan to cut it's been a plan to reallocate because you have to find ways to fund things you say you want to do part of the reason why the consent decree has not been executed is because it costs money and nobody wants to figure out how to come up with the money to actually do it that's what our plan does we want to be honest we've been trying to be honest with the people of chicago from day one everything you want to do has a cost. And if you're going to elect someone for mayor, they need to be telling you how they're going to do it, either finding savings within the budget, which we do, not just within the police department, but throughout the city government, over half a billion dollars of savings in our budget plan, and then finding revenues that don't push working class and middle class people out of Chicago. That's what we've done. So we've been clear. We've been the most 
clear candidate in this race on every dimension, right? We've given people plans to debate, to discuss, even when it wasn't considered politically expedient. Unlike Mr. Vallis, who's supposedly a budget guru who has a three-sentence budget plan. That's literally unthinkable that the man who's based his candidacy on his track record managing budgets won't tell the people of Chicago how, what budget he will have or what plan he has, right? So I think we've been clear on this point. I'm sad. I'm not sad. I'm disappointed that there's been so much confusion and misinterpretation, but we've been crystal clear from the very beginning about what our public safety plan does. Huey Garcia brought the progressive family back together in endorsing Brandon Johnson. Will he matter at all? He really was not a big factor. He really bombed out in that first round, only got 13 point something percent of the vote. And will he matter? Of course, Congressman Garcia is, I mean, his history in this city, his legacy in this city is, is it doesn't require explanation. He's been one of the leaders of progressive politics and uplift for the growing Latin community for 30 or 40 years, really. And I think that validation and that record will mean a lot in helping voters think about which candidate best reflects their needs. And so we're very excited to have that endorsement. It meant a lot to Commissioner Johnson personally. It means a lot to the campaign from an electoral standpoint. And we've actually had Many people through our door-to-door program tell us that knowing that Congressman Garcia was with Commissioner Johnson made a big difference on ultimately how they thought about both candidates and ultimately which vote they would cast. Brandon Davis, what percentage of the Hispanic vote do you expect Jason Brandon Johnson to get? And how much will the turnout boost? Because it was rather anemic in round one. I think we talked a little bit about how we've been thinking about turnout math here and the performance math. It, I think that as we sharpen the two candidates and as we sharpen the two visions for, for the city, I think that becomes a more compelling reason for voters who may or may not have engaged in the general election uh, to pay a little bit more attention in this election. And we've tried to lay out a really clear vision for how we get things done in the city and how we ensure that, that corporations and folks that benefited and been able to grow wealth in the city are paying their fair share. And we feel like that's going to be really compelling to working people across the city, but particularly to, to hardworking communities. And the Latinx community is one of those. So we expect to be very competitive. And we expect that and we've seen, I think, in our work on the ground and that there's an energy that's growing and emerging. It's one of those communities that our goal is to really engage Across, but we think there's a younger contingent there also that's paying attention to this race because it has a real impact on the future. The old guard, regular black Democrats have flocked to Vallis. The Michelle Harris's, Walter Burnett, Tony Beale, on and on, Jesse White. Why is that? Do you think, Jason Lee? I don't know how happy they would be to be called old school, old guard, or whatever old the guard, term is. Old and the chair of the the chair of the city council's black caucus is with Brandon Johnson. Howard Brookins is with Brandon Johnson. LG Sims is with Brandon Johnson. Kwame Warul is with Brandon Johnson. Congressman Danny Davis, Congressman Jonathan Jackson. When it comes to African American support, the black community about what is it about? What's the yeah. division about? 
African-American community is not a monolith. We vote collectively often, but there are different political opinions within the African-American community. And in a race like this, you expect some of those differences to get reflected. The other thing to consider is that Mr. Vallis has been around a long time. And long before Commissioner Johnson was even a thought on the scene. And so some of these individuals have longstanding relationships and decided that maybe that was something that was important to them. But I haven't heard one of these aldermen express the idea that somehow their support was going to help Mr. Vallis win their wards. That was not the conversation. People have the right to make the choices and endorsements they want to make. Ultimately, this election is going to come down to the voters. Endorsements are great and they help validate to a certain extent. They help send certain signals. This election is going to be won based on two candidates expressing their vision and then getting out their voters. And that's what we're going to do throughout the next several days. So the get out the vote army is going to be how strong? Oh, it's going to be very strong. It's much bigger than it was in round one. A thousand, two thousand. It'll be closer to two thousand people all in. When you think about people out on doors, people phone banking, people texting, we'll have all kinds of activities going on with the candidate to, to inspire turnout at different polling locations. Labor will be uh, all in. And yeah, it's going to be a really exciting day. And whoever is elected mayor of Chicago, whenever we find that out. We'll have to bring this very divided city back together. Is it helpful then for having to have a Brandon Johnson say at the final televised debate that Paul Vallis was, quote, dismissive of a black man when all he really did was try to criticize him for his lack of experience in terms of four years as a teacher? How is that racial? How is that dismissive of a black man? And does it help in the overall goal post-election to reunite the city? I think what helps reunite the city is having a mayor who actually loves Chicago, and loves the people in it, and will have a place at the table for every single Chicago, every single Chicagoan. Commissioner Johnson, through his career as an educator, an organizer, and a county commissioner, is the only person who has a proven record of collaboration, bringing people together to find solutions. Nobody, no any single individual can solve the challenges that Chicago face. And anybody presenting that as a model of leadership, where there's one person who has all the ideas and all the thoughts, and that's going to solve the problem, we've seen that before, and it doesn't work, and it's not going to work this time. So what we really need to bring the city together as a leader who believes that the city needs to be together for the city to strive. But in terms of what was said at the debate, I think, look, there's a long record of certain candidates. And frankly, it tends to be candidates of color who face an extra burden in justifying their experience and expertise. And it's important to lift that up because Mr. Vallis, his record is long, but is it good? And I think most people, at least the people who've come from where he's worked, have said, no, it's not. And so there's a contrast there. And Brandon Johnson has been a county commissioner, he's been in a legislative branch, he's passed legislation. He's not just a teacher, but teaching is still a valuable experience, experience of thousands of people in the city who work on the front lines. Many of our best elected officials started off as teachers. And so to be dismissive about someone's experience that's not helpful. I think that's divisive because there are thousands of working people in this city who know that they have something to offer to the city. 
And for Mr. Vallis to miss that experience, I think it's not a great way to bring everyone together. So as we close, your predictions and how will you get there? Go ahead, Vernon. My prediction is that we've done uh, the way we'll get there. And then the prediction, I guess, the path here in Chicago, I think, is speaking directly to voters, speaking to the concerns that people I'm talking have. numerically turnout uh, percent of the vote. But, but those two things go hand in hand. They're not they're not dis, they're not disconnected. Path here, I think, is what we're doing. And that is, as I said, just it's talking to people and speaking to their concerns. It's allowing people to hear directly from the candidate. It's moving around the city as a candidate and speaking to people and engaging with people i think that's what brandon has done at a very high level and i think that what right, get more specific is, on the numbers get more specific on the numbers tactically i think that what that's going to lead to is a real enthusiasm on the ground across communities and as i've said i think that the way that we've engaged communities has given us the ability to be able to win margins in those communities and so yeah, i you know what right, i think Jason we're Lee, i'm going to try with you I need some specifics. Come on. I'm trying to pin you down here. Again, just I'll be I'll be totally honest. I don't understand the that impulse, not from you necessarily, but just in general. Look, if I say I need 25 percent increase of whatever community, what does that mean? That's a number. It means what am I doing to get that 25 percent increase? Course, that means I got to campaigns right, so are to, war rooms. Me, they war. have strategies that way. I'm asking right, saying, what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is just that those strategies don't mean anything. But the only thing that matters is the inputs. How many people are we talking to? What message are we giving them? What mechanisms do we have to get them out? That's how you get to the numbers. Focusing on the numbers doesn't get you anywhere. Focusing on the tactics and the means that's all that campaigns can control. We've seen cycle after cycle, people and their models get it completely blown up by the outcomes. Polling be off, pathways be off. That model of politics where we put numbers on the board is the model that's moved that, we're, that people who understand how to win elections are moving away from. It distracts from what we have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. I want my team focused on how am I winning more votes today, not a number on a board. And that's how we've tried to run this campaign. And we'll see on, on April 4th which model makes more sense. Not to say that we don't have numbers, but it's not the important thing. It, you can't do anything with those numbers. All you can do, the actions that you can control. All right. I've tried. <laughs> Thank you very much, both of you. And very best of luck to you on April 4th. And who knows how long it'll be before we find out who is the 57th mayor of Chicago. Best of luck to you. And we'll Thank see you, you all next week. Thanks,